Good morning to each of you, and welcome, and greetings in Jesus' name. A few comments before the message, per se, is one is I have been battling a cold the last week, and it's, it's on definitely on the, on the downhill side, but forgive my, my voice and whatnot. Um, another item, Brother Vernon Peachy's on the schedule for next Sunday, but I believe we're anticipating having another minister in our midst, and he is planning to bring the message, and that would be Kim's dad, Delbert Klein. So you can be praying for him, and just so you're aware of that. Plan to be here next Sunday. This morning for a message, I would like to look at seven things the Lord hates. This message is for all of us, but it may be geared a little bit more toward the younger ones of us, the children, and thinking about these, these things that the Lord hates. And I take that from Proverbs 6, but first I'd like to go to Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs chapter 8. There's a verse here in verse 13. And it says this. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Now, if you go back and look at the context of this proverb, it's actually wisdom speaking. And so following that, that phrase there, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, it says pride and arrogancy and the evil way in the froward mouth do I hate. So wisdom does not like pride. A wise person will not be proud. But the first part of that verse, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Let's all say that together. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Again, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Evil. That which is against God, it says that is, a person that fears God, that respects God, that honors God, will love what he loves and will hate what he hates. And with that, we'll go to Proverbs 6. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there to Proverbs 6. It's just back a, a page or two from where we were in Proverbs 8. Proverbs 6, beginning at verse 16. These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him, a proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, and heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among brethren." Now, it says here that these are things that the Lord hates. And it says that they're an abomination to him. What is an abomination? Did any of you have an idea what an abomination? As I was thinking about how to, 
an illustration of something that would be an abomination. I was cleaning up in the garage the other week so we could last week so we could do a project and we had taken our potatoes into the garage to clean and sort before we stored them. And I don't know how many of you know what happens to a, a potato that has a damaged spot on it that lays around for a couple weeks and it rots. And I know there's a lot of things that are get nasty when they rot, but to me, a rotten potato, it has a smell that, well, a rotten onion is very similar, and we also had a few of those. And it's a smell that just, it turns your stomach. You want to get rid of it because it hangs to you, and it's, it's kind of like an abomination. But here it says these things are an abomination to the Lord. It's something we think or we say or we do and it's God saying, I hate that. Get it away. There's seven things listed here that God hates. The first one here is a proud look. And I don't know exactly what all's meant by the proud look, but I do know what pride is. And the Bible has some things to say about pride and some examples of pride. Pride often is because I think about myself. And it can show up in different ways. You know, as, as children, as a child, I remember hearing and probably saying, well, I'm better than you at something. Well, that's pretty much pride because I think about myself. But you know, pride can be, I'm going to do something, I'm the best at something, but pride can also say, well, I'm not going to try because I'm not good enough. And here again, we're thinking about ourselves. And both, both wanting to do something, maybe playing a certain game, and that's what you want most because you're really good at it, or not playing because you think you're not very good at all, and you don't want to show people how bad you are. They're both pride. And it can affect all of us, young and old. You know, where we sit in church, I've, I've thought about this, and you know, we had we have talked about where we sit in church a couple years ago, and we were doing better at sitting together and sitting up, and then COVID happened. But in all this, thinking about why I sit where I sit, and I was thinking, you know, I can sit up front because I'm a proud person, and I want everybody to see that I go up front. Or I can sit in the back because I'm a proud person, and I don't want anybody to look at me when I go sit up front. And both can be pride, and I can do exactly opposite things. And so we can't label pride just because of what somebody does sometimes. It's the attitude of why I do what I do. You know, we should think more about what is good and right and kind, regardless of what other people will think about me. It's what God thinks about me. You know, if you know, if you children know of a, of a game or a project that you're asked to do, and you know that you can do it better than others, you can brag about it, but a lot better thing to do would be to help the other person that can't do it as good do it better. 
That was the thing that is pleasing to God, and that's humility. I'd like to look at a few examples of some proud people in Scripture. If you would turn to 2 Kings... Second Kings chapter five. This is about a man named Naaman. Now he was a, I understand, a military officer, a man in the army of, a, of the enemy of Israel, and they had captured a little girl, and she was his his servant or a, kind of like a slave to his wife. And Naaman had a disease called leprosy. And it was a terrible disease. And this little girl said, I know of somebody that could heal him. There's a prophet where I came from in Israel, and his name is Elisha. And if he, oh, I wish he could meet Elisha because then he could be healed. Well, it worked out that Naaman took a trip down to Israel. And in verse 9, It says, so Naaman came with his horses and his chariot and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go, wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. But Naaman was wroth. He was angry. It says, and he went away and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar, rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. He was a proud man. He was a man that was high up. He was respected, and people had to probably bow down before him when he came up to him, kind of like a king. And here this man of God, this Elisha, this prophet, he didn't even come say hi to him. He sent a messenger, said, Servant, go tell him to do this. A name, and he expected me to be treated with respect and he expected to have some big show because he was a, a, a mighty man. And he got angry, it says. And he went out in a rage. He was a proud man. We'll come back to that story later, but he humbled himself because his servant said, wait, 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 think about it. He didn't tell you to do some... If, if the prophet would have come and said you should do some great thing like... I don't know what he was thinking. I think he says if, if it was some, bid thee do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? You know, if you had to go do, what would be some great thing? Build a big altar and sacrifice a bunch of animals on it and all this. He said, no, just go down and take a bath in the, in the Jordan River. And so finally, Naaman went and did it. So he humbled himself. But that, that's an example of pride. Another is that of Nebuchadnezzar. And I'm, we don't need to turn to Daniel, but you all know who Nebuchadnezzar is. He was the king of Babylon, and he was a mighty king over a lot of, of territory, a lot of nations. And he had done a lot of great things, and he built Babylon and made many... They built some that they called hanging gardens, which I think were more of a, of like a, a big pyramid of, with gardens around on different layers... Many different things that were beautiful and, and took a lot of men to build. And he says in, in verse 30 of Daniel 4, he says, The king spoke, saying, Is this not great Babylon that I have built 
What did I say pride is? Is thinking about me, right? That I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty. I did it. And God had told him what was going to happen to him and this was the last straw. It says while he was still saying this, God humbled him and made him act like an animal for seven years. God hates pride. You could turn to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, verse 9. And Jesus spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. I'm good, others aren't good. So he said, this is a parable about some people like that. Two men, verse 10, went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are. They're extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. He's saying here, I'm a good man. I do all the right things. Just look at me, God. Verse 13 talks about the publican. He was a man that most people didn't like. He collected taxes. And they didn't like people that collected taxes because some of them were, they took more money than they were supposed to and they could force people to, get, to pay them more than they needed to. And they weren't liked very well. But it says here in verse 13, And the publican, standing afar off, would not, so much, would not lift so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now, which one do you think God was pleased with? The man that said, I'm a good man, I do the right things. Or the man that said, I'm a sinner. I have done wrong things. God, forgive me. Verse 14 says, I tell you, this man, the humble man, went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. So we've seen some examples of some proud people and they became humbled and here a humble man. God hates pride. And there's ways that we can be proud and we need to think about that. To think of others more than ourselves. The second thing here that says is an abomination that God hates, and that is lying. A lying tongue. God hates lying. Lying. What is lying? It's telling something that is not true. It's not the way it actually is. You know, often we're tempted to lie when we do something bad and don't want other people to find out about it. You know, if you break a, a special dish of your mom's when she's not there, what do you want to do? You want to sweep it up and put it in the trash can and well, what happened to it? Well, I don't know. Well, that's a lie because you're afraid of 
showing that you're not, that you did something you, you shouldn't have, even though it was an accident. And you know, this doesn't just happen to children, it can happen to big people too. We're afraid, well, and it all comes back to pride because we don't want other people to think we're, we're bad or that we aren't careful. Lying, not telling the truth. And we're going to spend a fair bit of time on this one because there's a lot of different things in lying that I thought about and, and examples and things. But first of all, we're going to look at the example of Cain. That's in Genesis. Genesis chapter 4. Now, I don't, this isn't the first lie in the Bible, but it's pretty close. I think Satan had a lie before this, but this is the, a person that's telling a lie. In Genesis chapter 4, in verse 8, it says, And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? He knew what happened to Abel. It was, a, it was a lie completely. He knew exactly where Abel was. God, God punished Cain for killing Abel. But that was, that was a, a lie. Another lie that it, we see is in Genesis 37. And this one is a little more, a little more tricky. In Genesis 37... Beginning at verse 31, I'll give you some background here. So Joseph had gone to his brothers and they saw him coming. If you remember, they did not like Joseph because they thought because his, his dad, Jacob, liked him the best. And they wanted to get rid of him. And his brothers actually sold him as a slave. But then they said, what are we going to tell dad? Because he's going to wonder what happened to Joseph. And so in verse 31, it says, They took Joseph's coat and they killed a kid of the goats and they dipped the coat in the blood and they sent the coat of many colors and brought it to their father and said, uh, We found this coat. It says, This have we found. Know now whether it be thy son's coat or no. And he knew it and said, It is my son's coat. An evil beast hath devoured him. Joseph is without doubt rent in pieces. Did they know whose coat it was? Yes, they knew whose coat it was. But they act like they didn't. That was a lie. They were putting on a lie. And then when Jacob said, It's Joseph's and he's been killed by a wild beast. They didn't tell him that but they made so that he would believe that. It was, it was a lie that they wanted him to believe even though they didn't say it. Lying can get us in all kinds of trouble. When you tell one, you often have to tell more to cover up, and God hates lying. God loves the truth. What actually happened? Let's go back to 2 Kings. Chapter 5, a little bit ago we 
And we heard about Naaman, and he came as a proud man, but he humbled himself, and he did what Elisha told him to do, and he was healed of his leprosy. And after that, in verse 15, it says, And he returned to the man of God, Naaman did, went back to Elisha, he and all his company, and came and stood before him and said, Behold, now I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Now therefore, I pray thee, take a blessing of thy servant. And he, Elisha said, As the Lord liveth before whom I stand, I will receive none. And Naaman urged him, Take it, but he refused. And Naaman said, surely, well, I'm going to go down here then. Verse 19 says, and he said unto him, go in peace. So he departed and went a little way. And then it talks about Gehazi, who is Elisha's servant. In verse 20, but Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God said, behold, my master hath spared Naaman this Syrian in not receiving of his hands that which he brought. So what he's saying here is that Naaman brought a bunch of presents, gifts to give Elisha. And he said he didn't take any of them. As the Lord liveth, I will run after him and take something from him. So Gehazi followed after Naaman. And when Naaman saw him running after him, he got down from his chariot and said, Is it all well? Gehazi said, yes, all is well. And then he said this. He said, my master hath sent me, saying, behold, even now there be come to me from Mount Ephraim two young men of the sons of the prophets. Give them, I pray thee, a talent of silver and two changes of garments. Did Elisha tell Gehazi to go? Absolutely not. So number one, he said he told a lie and that he said, Elisha sent me. And then he made up a story about some men coming. That wasn't true. In verse 23, then Naaman said, be content, take two talents. I'll give you more than you asked. Take two talents. And he urged him and he bound up two talents of silver and two changes of garments and laid them on two of his servants. And they went back with Gehazi. In verse 25, it says, talking about Gehazi, he went in and stood before his master, and Elisha said unto him, Whence comest thou, Gehazi? Where'd you come from? You, you were just out, weren't you? And Gehazi said, uh, Thy servant went no whither. I didn't go anywhere. I'm just, I was out in the front room waiting for you to tell me what to do. And Elisha said, Went not my heart with, thy, with thee, when the man turned again from his chariot to meet thee, is it a time to receive money and to receive garments and olive yards and vineyards and sheep and oxen and men servants and maid servants? The leprosy thereof of Naaman shall cleave unto thee and unto thy seed forever. And Gehazi went out from his presence a leper white as snow. He had a big, he, he, he lied and then he had to make more lies and more lies and it cost him here he became that disease that Naaman came all this way to get rid of. Now Gehazi had it because of his lying, at least in part. God hates lying. When you're tempted to lie, think about Gehazi and the little lies he told 
because he wanted something that he wasn't supposed to have and then he had to lie to, to, to keep it hidden and it cost him greatly. Another way of lying is there's a verse in, in Proverbs 11, verse 1. It says, dishonest scales are an abomination to the Lord. Now, a scales, we think of scales. I don't know what scales you have in your houses. We have the main one in the house that I think of, and that is the bathroom scales. And I think sometimes it's an abomination because I don't think it's always honest. But... We have other scales, and in the cheese room, we have scales that we weigh things on. But back in that day, it was different scales. They weren't digital scales that just put up a number. And often, I don't have a, a good illustration here, but if you had a, a bar hanging on something and you put something on each side, it would weigh. And if your weight was, was dishonest, that you said this is a pound, and you put a pound over here and it would balance, but your pound was a little bit more when somebody, when you were buying or selling, it was dishonest. And God hates that dishonest scales or measuring. And I'm going to read a verse here, a few verses, that talk about this. In Amos chapter 5, it says, saying, Amos 8, chapter 8, verse 5, it says, saying, When will the new moon be gone that we may sell corn, and the Sabbath that we may set forth wheat, making the ephah small, the shekel great? and falsifying the balances by deceit, that we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of shoes and sell the refuse of the wheat. I've got a little illustration here I want to show you. What do we have here? Buckets. How big are they? Are they the same size? Well, I'll just tell you they're not. In my study, I found out that an ephah is about 5.8 gallons. Well, this bucket's supposed to hold 5 gallons. This bucket's supposed to hold 6. And I checked this morning, and they're very close to that. But see, as a merchant... When someone brings grain to me, they grow, a farmer grows some grain and he brings it to me and I'm going to pay him for it, then I'm going to give him this bucket. I'm going to say, you fill this bucket up and I'll pay you a dollar for this bucket of grain. But then when I go to sell it, and let's say I'm not going to make any money on it, but I'll take this bucket and say, I'm going to sell this bucket for a dollar. Is that honest? I have two different measurements, and this is exactly the size of an ephah, right in, in here. And you can remember, an ephah is five gallons. But that would be, it said here, an ephah, a small and a great, or a, a two different size ephahs. So you keep one to buy with, and you keep one to sell with. That's lying. God hates that. There's ways that we can do kind of the similar things if we're not careful. As adults, I don't know what all they might be, but 
you know, you can make sure your fuel tank is empty when you, when you go on the scales to get your tear and then always full when you go back across. Yeah, there's little things that, that can be that dishonesty, that lying. One other thing about measurements, and I'll just tell you this so you can maybe remember, because it helped me, and if I'd have remembered years ago, been uh, understood this years ago, I might remember better, but this Bible talks about a homer. It talks about an omer and a homer, but a homer is about 58 gallons, which was 10 ephahs. So those barrels that you ride around in in the train down at Weldon's River, those are 55-gallon barrels cut off, but that was a homer. And that would take 11 of these or 9 of these, which is about 10 if you average them out, to equal a homer. And where I thought of that the Bible talks about a homer was when the children of Israel complained about not having meat and God sent quail, it says each one gathered 10 homers of quail. Now put that in perspective, that's 500 gallons of quail. They were pretty greedy. So, one of those big barrels, that's a homer. This is an ephah. Lying. Cheating is another form of lying. You know, sometimes we, in schoolwork, we can pretend we figured out the answer when we really copied it from somewhere else. God hates that. You know, God has given each person something to help keep him from lying and from doing other wrong things, and that's the conscience. And most of you know what a conscience is, but it's that feeling inside when you do something you know you shouldn't. And God puts that in every person. But there's a problem. If you know that you shouldn't tell a lie, but you tell a lie anyway, or you know you shouldn't steal when you steal, the next time it's a little easier. And the next time it's a little easier and pretty soon your conscience doesn't work right. And that's called deception. And it gets so bad that people call good things bad and wrong things good. That's often because they go against their conscience. They don't listen to that little voice, that little feeling inside when they know that they should do something right and they do wrong instead. So we have seven things. We had two so far. What were the two things that God hates that we've gone over? Anybody know? Proud look, pride, and a lying tongue. The third one here is, says is hands that shed innocent blood. Now, you would never kill someone. But you know, I happen to know myself and, and other people, and sometimes we can just be pretty mean. And the Bible talks about hatred being the same as, as killing, and it also talks about words that can do a lot of damage. But you know, as I thought of this hands that shed innocent blood, I had to think of bullying. When I'm bigger and I want to be mean to somebody just for fun. And I'd say as a, as a child, that's probably... As I thought, the closest home that this would come is just bullying people around. Just to be mean for fun. And God hates that. 
The fourth thing is a heart that devises wicked plans. Thinking of how we can do a mean trick on somebody or tell a lie about somebody to get them in trouble. It's kind of similar to this other one, but it's, it's thinking of, of ways to be mean and unkind. And that's pretty much the opposite of something we call the golden rule. Turn with me to Luke 6. Luke chapter 6, verse 31. And let's all read this verse together. As, as ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. Again, and as ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. Do you want someone to think about doing mean things to you and treating you unfairly and unkindly? Scheming up ways to make life miserable for you? Well, then you don't do that for them either. Verse five, uh, number five in this list would be feet that are swift and running to evil. And I'm just going to say this about that. When other people, when you know, and, and sometimes you hear about somebody that was unfortunate, somebody maybe made a bad grade, maybe they tripped and fell, maybe this, and we join other people in poking fun and making fun of others. Feet that are swift and running to evil. Let's not join others in doing what is wrong, what is unkind. God hates when we join others in doing evil. And number six, a false witness who speaks lies. That's kind of like number two about lying, but it has a little different implications because maybe it's when I'm asked a question and I, about someone else, and I don't tell the truth. And in Matthew 28, there's an example of, of this, of someone that, that, was, uh, that bore false witness by, and was telling lies in that. Matthew 28, Verse 11 says, And when they were going, behold, some of the watch came into the city and showed unto the chief priests all things that were done. And this is following the resurrection of Jesus. So if you remember, Jesus was in the tomb, and the angel came and rolled the stone away, and a few of the disciples went in and they saw that Jesus wasn't there. I think he wasn't there before the stone was rolled away, but when the angel had come, the keepers, they had put guards around and they had fallen down because they, it was this powerful, bright, miraculous thing. And so they came, the, these guards came into the chief priests and they said, we were there. We saw this angel. He's gone. And when they, they were assembled with the elders... And in taking counsel, the elders gave large money unto the soldiers, saying, 
Say ye that his disciples came by night and stole him away while we slept. And if this come to the governor's ears, we will persuade him and secure you. So they took the money and did as they were taught. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews unto this day. Here were men that were paid to tell a lie. Wherever they, whenever anybody asked about it, they said, oh, his disciples came while we were sleeping. Hmm. Can you see things while you're sleeping? Seems like it was a false witness, witness that wouldn't have held up very good either. But that was what they were paid to say, and they did say it. The last one of these things that it says in Proverbs that God hates and are an abomination to him. He can't stand. He wants it away from him. He will judge it as well. And that is one who sows discord among his brethren. And I should have brought an example of discord. When I think of discord, I think of music, though, and, and different pitches that sound terrible when they're together. Uh, it's not something that's pleasant. You could think of tension or fighting being discord. You know, as children, I see too, too much, and I probably, if I rack my brain very far, I could remember doing the same thing, and that is teasing to get a rise out of somebody. To get somebody mad. Maybe it's taking a toy away. I got this from you. And what does it do? It creates tension. It creates friction. It creates upheaval and strife and discord. Or maybe you tell one of your friends about, the, about somebody else and things that they did that they shouldn't have. And we start telling and doing and, and making so that people can't get along. And in the church, that can be a big issue when... One, when there's different perspectives of a, of a topic and a subject and rather than sit down and try to see each other's point, we have to go and tell everybody how my view is the best, somebody else's is wrong. We sang a song a little bit about, ago about what a pleasing sight it is when brethren agree. And it's a terrible thing when there's discord sown. And as we think about sowing, that means scattering or putting it out there. Sowing seed, if you sow seed, you scatter it out, it goes in the ground, and what does it do? It grows. You remember hearing about that last Sunday? Remember this, the message last Sunday? The very first part we read was about a man that sowed good seed in his field. And what came up? His good seed, but it came along with something that the enemy sowed tares, and they came up. Whatever you sow will come up. And in Galatians chapter 6, it says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man sows, that will he also reap. And I believe that in this sowing discord, that can also be a problem. When you do things to make other people upset and angry and get them to watch the make fun of them when they don't have what they would like and maybe is their own personal property, it might happen back to you. And there was a verse that we said earlier, as you would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. So remember that what you sow you will reap, and if you sow discord, 
you might have to reap the consequences of discord. These things, some of them may not seem as practical to us as others, but they're here in Proverbs for a reason. They're to help us to understand God a little bit. You know, the most important thing is to know God, but sometimes we have to know about God so we can know God. And this can help us think about who God is, what he likes and what he hates. And we didn't look a lot at the things of what God loves. There's a lot about that too, and we want to be that. But at this part, we're looking at things that God does not love. In fact, God hates. He wants to get them away from him and from us if we are like that. He wants, he can't, he can't be close to people that are an abomination. So as you think about these things, I'd say the two that, that are the biggest probably for all of us are pride, that proud look, doing things to be prove that we're the best, and lying and, and think in ways that we can not present things as they really are. May God help us to be humble people, people that are honest and that tell the truth no matter what, it, what the situation and circumstances.